You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. great month getting more and more revelation around this issue of rest. You know, it's, a, it's, it's something that uh, most of us aren't familiar with. It's kind of like opposed to the lifestyle that we've been kind of duped into living in the West. It's all about do, do, busy, busy, achieve, achieve, and all that stuff. So it's good getting revelation on this. And, uh, and yet I've heard a number of people mention they're not only getting revelation, they're putting into practice how to rest in God, how to hear God, how to relate to God through this. I I will guarantee you this. If you're trying to find God in the hectic activity of the day, you're not going to find him. It's kind of like Elijah. Elijah went to the cave, you know, the wind comes and smashes rocks and God's not in the wind. The fire comes and burns up things. God's not in the fire. Uh, The earthquake comes and breaks things open. God's not in the earthquake. And all of a sudden he speaks to Elijah through a still small voice. Why did those things have to happen to Elijah? Well, Elijah's a man of power. He's a man of action. He's just come from Mount Carmel where fire fell. And, and maybe he's thinking, this is the way I know God. And God goes, yeah, no. Nah. You're not going to box me in, Elijah. I'm not going to come to you on your terms. I think so often we don't rest because we want God to come to us on our turn. God, i got five minutes right now. I'm reading your word. You must do this for me now. I guarantee you the heavens will be brass when you pray that kind of prayer. God will go, yeah, no. But it's in the moment of rest. Now, I want to tell you something. We're going to read this in a little bit. Um, When he said, "I, I created this thing, you know what he called it? Holy. Holy. Holy just simply means set apart by God. That's all it means. God set this apart and said, this is a time that is holy to me. Get into it and and get ready for this. So people are starting to practice this, which is good, because there's so much in this concept of Sabbath rest that we just can't unpack in a few short sermons. Most of them were short. We try. Um, But in saying that, I trust you're getting enough uh, to encourage you to keep growing in the benefits of this thing. That, that you're, you're, you're having a go at this, a time to refresh, to recreate, to celebrate everything the Father's given us and everything that we have been able to create, that you just take that time. It's, it's a crazy thing. You know, I always find it crazy that this, these famous painters, their, their paintings aren't really enjoyed and valuable until they die, right? So if you're a painter, the sooner you die, the bigger your bank account will get and somebody else will enjoy it. That's the way it works. And I think, what a shame. It's like their, their, their creation is not really at its maximum benefit until something like that happens. And I don't think that's the way God made it to be. Enjoy it now. Listen, Christianity isn't just this deal that you get to go to heaven and enjoy it later. Christianity is about now. I came to give you life abundantly now. So the deal, I, I heard somebody say the other day, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to going to heaven. I'm not. No, serious. Not that I don't want to, because the alternative's not good, right? (laughs) I don't want to go there. Um, But the deal is this. Life here is so short. Heaven's forever. Get the most out of this. Enjoy it. When God created man and woman, he he made them to enjoy life, not to just endure it until, oh, I can't wait to get out of this place. 
No, 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 they loved it. And that's what his creation was about. So I trust you're kind of getting into the rhythm of life as God intended it to be, not how the world tells us it has to be. The world says if you're going to have real life and rhythm that you're going to enjoy, you've got to do these things. And what happens is they're forever chasing that elusive animal and never catching it, which is true. So here's the deal. This is my last time preaching in this series, believe it or not. I'm preaching every week, just not in the same place now. Now that we've got campus pastors, I get to kind of roam around. Uh, so I get to be pastor at large, not large pastor. And, uh, and I, get to, I get to do this. So this is my last one. And, uh, and, and I, I want to put one more thing out there that's going to cause you to go on a treasure hunt today. I know, that sounds cheesy, sorry. But I want to introduce you to something that's actually got some riches in it. And I don't want you to miss it because it's, it's, it's actually something that people chase. It's one of those secrets in life that people are forever trying to grab, but it's like grabbing jelly. You ever tried to hold jelly? It's like, right? My grandkids have this slimy stuff that it just, no matter what they do, it's just dripping, green dripping stuff out. Yeah. You don't have to go there. It's just green stuff. Um, but to do this, if you find this, you're going to be pleased. You're going to be settled. Something's going to happen in you that, that the world pays money to try to get. They pay money to try to get it through therapy. They try to pay money to, to get bigger and better toys, all kind of things, and they just don't get it. But God has offered it to us. And to do that, I want to examine just two, two points today. So there you go, just two. So to see this secret, you've got to start at the beginning. And that starts with God himself. But you also need to keep this secret in balance because it's a paradox. Don't worry about those words. I got Somebody said, we had a fantastic retreat, not because Beck wasn't with us. <laughs> Somebody said, it's even our best yet, Beck. <laughs> but that was no reflection on you. We really missed you. Um, it was interesting, the people we had come, and uh, this guy's a creative. He is a painter, and his paintings are already famous, but he's a pastor also. Uh, they lead the church up at Anna Bay, Spectrum, C3 Spectrum. And he wanted the names of every pastor that was going to be at the, the retreat before he got there. And he had this way of prophesying that was picturesque and creative. And he, he didn't even know everybody by face. He knew the names, but not by face. Yours was the first one he pulled out. He gave it anyway. And everybody's sitting there kind of giggling, laughing, and going on about it. Not because you weren't there, but because it was so you. Did you, did you get a chance to read it? Yeah, it was just so you. But then this prophetic thing just flowed through the whole, you know, retreat uh, with all of us, which was awesome and incredible, and we loved it. So we kind of came back a bit chilled, you know, and Jez was getting ready. She's getting ready to preach over at the other campus, and she goes, I just feel like, you know, feels like we're on drugs. Just so cool, you know? We're just, we're not at tense this morning. We're not going to preach tensely and heavy. So if I raise my voice, just go, chill. Remember the retreat, you know? So we, we loved it. But three of us had to come home and get sermons ready. So, yeah, the others had it easy. And Darren's just gone out to have a latte. So he's still chilled. It was great. It was awesome. It was so good. And the stuff that God has been bringing out in us. So stay there with me. By the way, I guess you're wondering what this secret in life is. Right? Yeah. Well, Paul, yeah, good on you, Damien. You're alive this morning. <laughs> Mate, is it, is it the new hairdo or what is it? <laughs> you didn't shave. Well, it looks new to me. You must have more hair today. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah. But you're alive. Stay there. Come on. That's good. It's, 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 it's infectious. All those people around you will start coming alive in a minute. All right. So uh, Paul talks about that. He actually used the word secret in, in Philippians 4. It's the only place in the Bible where the word secret is used. It's an old, old word that predates Christianity, and Paul took it and he Christianized it. It's a word that literally meant to let somebody in on an initiation into the cult religions, which is interesting. There is this, you know, like the Freemasons, they've got this secret handshake, you know, coming. They come over, and Pastor Gordon and I, when we shake, we do this, and we bring our trigger finger in, and we rub each other's palm. <laughs> not because we... No, we're not that way. It's, it's because... No, no, listen to me. We have a secret that only he and I share. Don't tell anybody. We're both left-handed hunters. So I actually do left hand. So it's the trigger finger saying, when's the last time you shot a deer? When's the last time you shot a, a hog? So, yeah. Okay. But Paul is using a word that only the mystery cults used to use saying, shh, only those who are initiated know this secret. And Paul is saying to the church, Shh, only those who are initiated get the secret. So I'm going to tell you about it today in Philippians chapter 4. Some people call it peace. Some people call it settledness deep inside. Why are you looking so unhappy, Mon? You want me to do the finger trigger with you? You're just looking unhappy. Smile. That's better. Good. She's still frozen from coming in on the bike. Right. I should have done that. I could have rode with you today. Some call it happiness to the point of satisfaction. Interesting that Eastern religions and even people in the West, we drove past an Eastern temple yesterday going up to the Wadigans. And uh, it's interesting that the Eastern religions call it nirvana, right? Nirvana where they find extreme happiness that settles in them, no longer anything that brings them down or out. The difference is for them to get nirvana, they have to, they have to achieve stages in life until they reach it. What Paul is talking about is not what you achieve, but what you receive. I don't have to, I don't have to meditate myself into it. I sit back and rest and receive it. Okay? And this is what Paul's talking about, but I'll tell you what it is in a few minutes because we're going to go back to the beginning. Because for us, that's where it starts. And we see it in God himself. God himself displays this right at the beginning of creation. I'm going to read it to you in the message from chapter 1, verse 31. So we'll put it on the screen. You probably won't have the message version with you. And then we'll go through to chapter 2. So verse 31, we got it. God looked over everything he had made. It was so good. Doesn't he sound like an Aussie? It was so good. So very good. It was evening, it was morning, day six. Chapter two, verse one. Heaven and earth were finished down to the last detail. By the seventh day, God had finished his work. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day. He, he made it a holy day because on that day, he rested from his work. It's interesting, the word rest keeps appearing. And that word means something different than what most people think it is. We'll come to that in a second. He rested from his work, all the creating God had done. So the deal is this. The first clue you're going to find in, in this is this is not just about ceasing from work. It's not just going, oh, you know, I, 
I'm glad this thing is over. It's finished. Get it out of the way. And that's the way most of us end our week. Thank God it's Friday. You see, for me, my, my week doesn't begin till today. And it kind of like that. Um, we just get to the end of a week. Thank God it's Friday. Work has ceased. I can now do what I want. This is not what it's talking about. This is not God ceasing from his work, but this is God being satisfied with his work. The key is the word satisfied, because in that word rest, you'll find it was totally completed. There was nothing left to do, nothing to be added, nothing was missing. And you're not going to know that secret as long as you're still going, there's something missing. It's not done. God was totally satisfied with everything he made, especially Adam and Eve. He looks at them and goes the best. Now, I don't know about you, but I look around at humans and go, yeah, I'm not too sure about that. I look at mountains. I love mountains. I'm not a beach person. I love mountains. Here, God is, God's got this sense of humor, doesn't he? <laughs> Keith loves mountains. Let's take him as far away from them as we can. <laughs> I'm going to teach you how to love the water. Here's the God, God's honest truth. I have never been swimming in the ocean here in 23 years. Really? I've only been in twice, and that's to baptize somebody. True, true story. I had a swimming pool. Why do I want to go get sand everywhere? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Like, and why do I want to get sucked out? <laughs> you know, and never to be seen again. It's like, or some big gray thing. Now, why do I want that? I can go in the mountains, man. There's nothing there that can eat me. Not here. No mountain lions. What? Snake's not going to eat me anyway. But the deal is this. Listen, the idea of satisfaction is one of the keys in this secret we're talking about. How many people are just dissatisfied? You can tell. You can tell it in their look. You can tell it in their voice. You can tell it in their lifestyle. They're constantly trying to find something to fill some hole. And people do all kinds of things to find satisfaction, and they remain unsettled. Until they've got it. And the Sabbath was given to us as a means of discovering the secret of satisfaction. Rest equals discovering what satisfies. It's not just to go, oh, thank God it's Friday. Thank God that's over. God didn't go, thank God that's over with. Look at the last thing I made. Aren't they ugly? He actually looked at the last thing he made and said, very good. The only thing in all of creation. This is where I was going with the mountain and the, and the water thing. As majestic as they are, whichever one you like, there's still nothing compared to humanity. Because nothing in creation resembles the likeness and image of God but us as a living soul. Rest equals discovering what's satisfied. It's the, it's the place where you can stop and you can say, oh, it's so good, so very good. And you can find that in the place of rest. I'm telling you, you can't find it without rest. That's why it is. You know where rest starts for us anyway, don't you? Not on Saturday, not on Sunday. Rest starts for us at a place, not a day. Starts at the cross. Yeah? Okay. So rest wasn't just God ceasing from activity, but rest was not the result of his weariness. Oh, man, I'm, I'm glad that's over with. I'm tired. 
especially creating those two people. That was a job, man. And then I had to breathe into them, give them life. What's that about? That's not God. God didn't rest because he was tired or because he was tired of making what he made. A lot of people in their job are just tired of their job. I'm just, I'm just fed up. You ought to go and read the stats. Google the stats on, in this modern day, how many jobs people go through by the time they're age 40. Why do they do that? Well, they're trying to go higher. They're trying to get more. No, no, no. They're not happy. They're dissatisfied. They're looking for something better. For God, there was nothing better. That's it, man. There's nothing better. Now, if you're God and you even know they're going to stuff it up in time, he still goes, very good. He still thought it was the best he could do. And when you read the idea of rest, within embedded in that little word rest in the Hebrew is the word of celebration. It's not just, hey, he's finished, but now in that word rest, it carries the notion of he's going to celebrate this. He's going to enjoy this. He's going to like this. I don't know, and nobody knows this, because the Bible in the early stages of Genesis is not chronological. You know what I mean? It, chapter 2 doesn't neatly follow chapter 1 because it repeats a lot of stuff. And chapter 3 doesn't neatly follow chapter 2. So how long between God creating Adam and Eve, how long of a gap was there before they decided to rebel and sin? We don't know. But what we do know is this. In that time, God enjoyed walking with them. He took his creation out on a stroll. That's why he comes down in chapter 3 and he's walking in the garden looking for them. Why? He didn't know where they were at? No, it's because they didn't know where they were at anymore. They weren't lost to God. You know what was lost to God? That issue of rest with them. We can't do this anymore. We can't walk like friends anymore. Why do you think Jesus did come back and say, I'm not going to call you um, servants, I'm going to call you friends. Isn't it interesting he didn't say that till right before he was crucified? He didn't say that early in the peace when he chose them. He wanted them to walk a journey with him for three years before he could say, I think you now got it. I think you understand what this is all about. Enjoy the journey with me as friends. This is where God says, man, I'm going to celebrate this. Uh, Matthew says in his commentary on Genesis, I think we got it up there for you. By the commemoration of Sabbath... God and his creatures share in the celebration of the good creation and God's people are enjoined to enter into the rhythm of work and joyful rest. He calls us in this thing. Come, come enjoy this with me. Come back what I have bought back at the cross. Come back and enjoy it. The cross isn't just about my sins being forgiven. I've got a home in heaven. It's about, man, I'm enjoying life now. I'm back to what God made me to be, a human that he looks at and says, very good. And we embrace that Sabbath rest. And we celebrate with God. See, the, the sense of satisfaction and true celebration comes from something in here. It doesn't come from things out there. It comes from something in our soul. And the practice of Sabbath helps us to find that, to enjoy that, to celebrate that. We have to switch off the things that burden us, right? Janet and I have to deliberately say, we'll be on a day where we're not meant to be doing work, church stuff, whatever. And all of a sudden, we can't help it. We've been doing this for 38 years. So we automatically, oh, such and such the other day. And we have to say to each other, stop. 
We're not talking anything to do with church today. Oh, yeah, but I'm just telling you about a person. I said, I know, stop. I don't want to know that today. Because what I want to know today is what's good for us and, and what God is doing and how good he is. I can think about them tomorrow. Don't worry about today and don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself, Jesus said. And, and our brain just goes to this racing, what i got to do, what i got to do, what i got to do. If I step back and rest and deliberately switch that switch off and say, all right, God, I don't want to focus on what i got to do. I want to focus on who you are and who I am with you. Something begins to happen. The, the things that burden us come off. The things that make us anxious take us to a place of celebrating with God instead of worrying about people or job or bills or whatever. Because there's this sense of celebration and satisfaction that starts coming out. And Paul talks about it in the book of, Ephesians, uh, book of Philippians. You know what he said? Here's the secret. I've learned the secret. By the way, you know you can learn it? Did you know that? This is not a gift imparted. This is something you've got to learn. Hang on, hang on. You did not get that revelation. Nobody is going to lay hands on you at the end of this service and give you this by impartation. God's Spirit Himself isn't going to download it from heaven like a baptism. Paul said, I had to learn it. I had to learn it. And if you think he didn't have to learn, man, go read 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I had a thorn in the flesh given to me. I asked God three times, take it away. He said, Paul, you need to know something about grace. Live with it for a bit. And you will find grace like you have never known it before. So here's the secret. Paul said, I have learned the secret of being content. There's the secret. I've learned what it is to be. You know, these guys sit in circles and they, and they sit in a lotus position. I could do that all day, and the only thing I'm going to find out is that I'm hungry <laughs> or bored or whatever. And I'm not making fun of people. I'm just telling you, self-effort's not going to get that in there. I've got to learn it. I don't learn it by emptying my mind. I learn it by filling my mind with him. And I, I love what uh, he said I learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Eugene Peterson put it this way in the message. I don't think we have it on the screen, but he, he called it the recipe for being happy. Isn't that interesting? The world, I mean, no, we're not going to break out under, what's his name, Pharrell's song, Happiness? No, we're not doing that. You think Christians sing songs. How many times did he say happy in that flipping song? I want to throw the radio through the window. Anyway. But isn't it interesting? People do all kind of things to find happiness, don't they? Um, they're on a constant search because they no longer find happiness in their marriage or the job they're in or the place they live. I, I, I often wonder, could this be the reason, this lack of happiness and, and constantly reaching, grabbing, searching, could this be one of the reasons why everything is so temporary today? Serious. Um, I won't say who, but I am related to her. And, uh, and she thinks, it's not my wife, and she thinks if they've had a sofa for more than three years, it's now disposable, it's too old, we've got to get a new one. And I'm going, man, for us, when we were young, we were in heaven if we bought a three-year-old sofa. <laughs> right? 
I remember the first time Janet and I got something new. We've been married for years before we got the first new thing. And I thought we did die and go to heaven. But could it be that people are just searching, 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 looking, and everything becomes plastic, temporary, disposable, even marriage? Sylvester Stallone married, I don't remember which number wife it was, but he wrote this in his vows. I will keep you as long as I love you. That was his vow. I think the marriage lasted six months. So much for his depth of love, wasn't it? But listen, is it possible? Was a latte good, mate? Inside joke. We're just having fun. Good to laugh, isn't it? In times like these. Yeah. What did he say? Um, uh, Paul Harvey, the great American commentator, he said, it's always good to remind ourselves in times like these that there have always been times like these. Okay. But is it possible we've been tricked into believing that constant change will help us find satisfaction? Really? Uh, it's like, if I could only get this new job, you know, I'd be happy. Uh, if I could only find a new partner, my deepest needs would be met. Or if I could move and start all over in a new location, I'd, I'd be content. Maybe I'll get it. People are on a constant search for the if only. It is true. They live in a state of discontent. The opposite of contentment is discontentment. You know what that says? I'm not really happy with anything. Nothing satisfies. And you know, yet for us as a, as a people who are made in the likeness of God, am I doing all right fleecing, Beck? Okay. You had to be in the prayer meeting. But for us, you know, people made in the likeness of God and, and, and we've been made new again by believing the gospel, I believe we have the capability of being content, finding, learning, and living this secret. I, I believe it's ours. I believe it's there for the taking. And Paul found it, and I believe in taking time to rest with God, it gives us the ability to discover it. But you're not going to find it just being religious and busy. It ain't going to happen. You're only going to find it through relationship and connection. Let's see how Paul did as he wrestled with this paradox, this balance of a paradox. Um, you know what a paradox is. Uh, it's, it's like a statement that's an oxymoron. It's a, it's a tension within the same statement that looks like they're opposed to each other. You know, it's like my son when he was young, the kids used to have this saying, and this was a paradox if there ever was one, hell good. <laughs> what in the world is good about hell? You know, it's like, that's a paradox. Well, Paul, you find this back in Philippians. I keep wanting to say Ephesians. You got me on Ephesians this morning. It's a good one, eh? In Philippians, Paul's got this paradox going on from chapter 3 to 4. And he understood, here's how he learned contentment. He's got these two things that look opposed, and he wrestles with the tension of them, and it causes him to find God in them. Maturity is not simplicity. Maturity is taking the things that look like they're opposed one to another and wrestling them through until you meet God in the middle of it saying, I am in both. Like, for instance, for instance, here's a paradox. God chose me before the beginning of the world, but at age 17, I chose God. That's a paradox. 
And I've got to wrestle with this thing that even before I wanted him, thought of him, or even knew about him, he had a plan for my life. But I still said no to him. But somewhere in there, I, I wrestled that tension and bang, life came. Okay, so let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I'm going to put you in the context. The, Philippians is called a prison letter. It's one of the letters Paul wrote as a prisoner. Interesting, you know what the overriding theme is of the book of Philippians? Joy. Satisfaction. Or in the words of the indomitable feral, happy. So here it goes. Verse 10. I rejoice, there it is, there's joy. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Here in the state that he's in as a prisoner and being mistreated and abused, he's got joy. That ain't natural. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned, I've learned to be content. There it is. I learned how this works, whatever is going on around me, the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul knew poverty, and he knew prosperity. Paul was a businessman. He was a tent maker. He wasn't paid by the church. As a matter of fact, he deliberately rejected payment by the church, so nobody could accuse him of being a tele-evangelist. But he had, a, he had a lucrative business making tents. So much so he could pay for his ministry team to go with him wherever he went. But then all of a sudden, bang, he's imprisoned. There's no work. There's no support. There's no ministry. There's no love offerings. And he said, I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to have nothing. But I also know the secret of contentment. Whether well-fed, whether hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, Verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So here's the deal. You're never going to find this in your circumstances. It's not going to be found in a, in a partner. It's not going to be found in a new home. It's not going to be found in another occupation that satisfies you. All those things aren't bad, but it's not going to be found in that. Even when circumstances are favorable. You know, people get married thinking that's the answer to life. And then about a month later, they're going, oh, my God, what did I do? Serious, I do. We, we had a young couple. We, I mean, we love this young couple. Amazing Christians. We did their pre-marriage preparation, everything. Sent them off on their honeymoon. They came back. Pastor Keith, we need to see you guys. All right, all right, okay. What was so bad on the honeymoon? Did you run out of wine or something? And, uh, and they, uh, they came over and she goes, Pastor Keith, you won't believe it. On the honeymoon, he used the D word. And I'm trying to think, D word, D word. Surely not. I was thinking something else. <laughs> he said divorce to her in the honeymoon. In the honeymoon. After I smacked him upside the head a few times, because he's like a son to me. Oh, they're still married. It's okay. It's okay. But some people, all of a sudden, they couldn't wait to get married. But all of a sudden, they wake up and look at the person and go, i got to live with him the rest of my life. She squeezes the toothpaste in the middle. He rolls the toilet paper backwards. She doesn't pick up her clothes. He never washes a dish. All of you are laughing because you're one of those. Mm -hmm. Happiness is not found in that. 
you live and can't wait to get married. I remember my son. This is how I know my son was a virgin before he got married. I'm just being real because we tried to keep our kids pure. Dad, I, I've been worried. Right as I say I do, Jesus is going to come back and I can't have sex. It's like, like, I could think of better theology than that, son. You know, it's like the hormones of a raging young man. It's funny that today he doesn't think like that because sex isn't everything. Sex might sell, but sex also isn't cheap. Can't be found in your circumstances. It might please us for a while, but when things don't go our way, where's the happiness? Where's the contentment? I want to get to the place where I tell you a little bit about what contentment is and is not, because taking time out for the Sabbath removes us from the realm of circumstance. Where, where, where we're ruled by the things going on around us. It's like, no, no, Janet, we're not talking about church people today. We say that to each other. Nope. We were actually on the way here from Central Campus, and she went, she started to, talk, she started to tell about a situation. We need to, and she stopped, and she knew she'd get the hand. It's like, read the hand. I'm preaching in less than an hour. Read the hand. No, we know now we've got those boundaries with each other. Because in those circumstances, we're not going to find contentment. We've got to back up and get out of it, have a Sabbath rest, and, and not be ruled by the things going on around us. Because when we are at rest, there is one thing that eclipses everything else. Guess what it is? His presence. He can even say some tough stuff in that Sabbath moment, but it ultimately brings rest. Contentment is not found in circumstances. It's found in a person. And taking time out to be with that person reveals all kind of things to us. It's going to build us, strengthen us, and secure us. You know, it's like the, the three boys from Israel wouldn't bow to the statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they said, look, you can throw us in the furnace if you want to. Our God will take care of us. But even if he doesn't, we're content. We're content. Yeah, they couldn't read the circumstance. Even their faith at that moment was saying, well, if we burn, we burn. But that's still not the end of us because there's something deeper that even fire can't touch. It's, it's taking time to be with that person that secures us. You see, and the scripture, I think it's in my, my opinion, it's in the top five for being memorized, tattooed on us, and quoted, especially when we're in trouble. You know what it is? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, I love watching UFC fighting. Sorry, but I'm not. Sorry, because I like it. I used to do that stuff. And you see these guys, they'll have Philippians 4.13 tattooed on the chest. I can do all things through Christ. You know, he just lost the match, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think it's ironic. But isn't it ironic how a lot of Christians quote that when all of a sudden, oh, I'm anxious. I don't have the power. I can't cope. But I can do all things through Christ. And listen, it's okay. Look, nothing wrong with memorizing and quoting. But if you want to get the most out of it, you've got to understand the context that Paul wrote it in. Because it, it not only makes it more relevant, but it, it gives it a supernatural kind of boost. 
when you see it in its context. Because here's the deal. Paul's looking at me going, listen, guys, you understand. I'm a prisoner. My life could be ended tomorrow. Boom. And he said, I I believe I've got a lot more to give. I've already said it earlier in Philippians. I would rather go home and be with Christ now. But it is more necessary for me to remain here for you. He actually said that. But he knows, bang, that could cut off my head any moment. And I'm gone. And he also knows that I'm not doing well in here because they're not providing for me. The Romans had no obligation to feed the prisoners who were not Roman. So here's Paul, a prisoner. He's bound. I can't do my job to earn a living. I can't do my ministry to do what God called me to do. I can only do what they allow me to do at this moment. But I'm going to, wait. I'm going to make the circumstance work for me, not against me. Because the person's still here, even though the circumstance has changed. See, he, he, you know what he did? All right, all right. There was one place the Romans put him in prison that was a hole in the ground, a dungeon, like a hole in the ground. Only Paul's in there. And it's knee deep with mud and excrement. And that's his resting place for a while. We often think he's in some kind of ensuite in the palace. He's in a hole. He's going, okay, all right. I've been in a prison before. And he said, I'm going to make this work for me. I can't do anything else but meet with him. That's all I can do. There's nothing else I can do. I'm going to make this work for me. That's why he could write, I know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I'm going to make it work for me because if you read back in chapter 3, what was his greatest desire? To get out of prison? No. To earn an income again? Nope. To eat olive dip with dooku? Nope. <laughs> no. What's his greatest desire? I want to know him. I want to know him. He said that just verses earlier. This is the paradox. I, I, I'm found in him, but I want to know him. That's the paradox. It's his greatest desire. And the deal is this, guys. We can become a victim of our circumstances and be robbed of our peace, or we can find new ways to know him in the middle of the circumstances. And see, when that takes place, we see him and we know him in ways that we might not have otherwise known him. Because here's the deal. It's not until I feel totally insecure in who I am that I got to know a father who secures me in him. It's not just a theology. This is a relational connection that's strong. And it's not until I was in times of incredible weakness. I can quote the verses. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But until I was weak, I didn't really know how strong I could become through him. For Paul, he says, I'm going to make it work for me. But here's the other thing for Paul. Man, I don't have any provisions. I'm running out of food. Provisions are low. But I'm going to turn this around and make trust high. My basic needs aren't even being met. But this is a time where I rest. I stop. I withdraw from the circumstances. And I know I can do all things through him. He's going to strengthen me. By the way, when he says that, there's two verbs in there. Can do. And then strengthen. 
I can do, he will strengthen. All right, here's the deal. Both of those verbs are written in such a way in the original that says, I can keep doing and he will keep strengthening. It's not a once-off. It's not a, you know, a shot. It's not a, it's not a flu booster. I, I know he will keep providing for my needs because he also keeps strengthening me and I can do whatever he calls me to do. If you read the context, you know what he's saying here? At last you have finally had the opportunity to give so my needs are met. Right? The church didn't have opportunity up to this point. It's now at a point where trust is high and, and the Holy Spirit goes, you can release those things to Paul now because he's learned to trust. Not in you, but in me. They're over in Macedonia hearing the Holy Spirit saying, out of your poverty, you need to take an offering. And send it to Paul. Here's Paul in Rome as a prisoner going, God, I trust you. I don't know where tomorrow's meal's coming from. I don't know if you've ever been there in life where you didn't know where the next meal's coming from. We did as university students. Janet, we got a choice here. We either tithe or we buy groceries. That was our choice. We're university students. We could have justified it. Well, God knows we're serving him. We're preparing for ministry. He understands we've got to eat. Of course he does. So we tithe because he understands. You'd be amazed at anonymous checks showing up in the mail just at the right time. It's amazing. When provisions are low, it means trust is high. That's what Paul said. And contentment comes out of this paradox. Because Paul is saying in this scripture, I want to know him. But yet he's saying but I do know his empowering presence. And then on the other hand, he's saying, I'm content, I have all I need. But he goes, but there's more that I want. That's the paradox. Because the deal is this, the state that Paul learned to be content in didn't stop him for reach, from reaching for more. Rest is not laziness. Rest is not passivity. Rest is not apathy. Rest is actually active. It's not inactive, it's active. And if you go back to the text in Philippians, Paul makes it clear. There's so much more I want to know about Christ. And he actually uses a phrase that's found in the Olympics where he says, I am straining. Literally the phrase is, I am stretching my neck and my head forward to get to this goal. So I, I'm straining, I'm striving, I'm resting. I'm wanting, I'm desiring, I'm passionate, I'm content. That's the paradox. And in the tension of that paradox, he meets God like he's never met God. That's the way we find it. Wrestle the tension with fun. Because contentment's not passive or fatalistic. Here's the deal. Contentment says inside my soul, all is well. Fate or fate accompli says, oh, well, I guess it is what it is. Contentment says, my need is met. Man, I'm, the emptiness is filled. I'm overflowing. Whereas fate accompli goes, is that it? Well, I guess it'll have to do. See, being content, listen, here it is. Being content stops me from looking for the next best thing. They say now that on average, the Christians in Australia move church once every seven years. Many reasons. 
Maybe I need a new people, God. Maybe the next thing's going to be a bit better. I'm kind of tired of these people after 20-something years. I'm three times longer than they've been. I should have moved three times ago. Say, if I'm content with you, I'm not going to be looking for the next best people. Got it? And I don't look for you to be perfect. I just look to connect with relationship and love and grow together and be real. Because being discontent causes me to look for something that I'll probably never have. It causes me to live dissatisfied, never happy, nor pleased. Shoot Farrell Williams. Stop the song. It's unreal. But there's something in healthy and mature about these two things in tension. I'm straining for what he's already told me he's given me. I don't understand that. But I go for it. So you hear Paul saying phrases like this. I press on. Yet I've learned. But I can do all things. Todd, you want to come up for a second? See, desire drives me in a healthy way. I want more. Contentment satisfies me in a settled way. Desire causes me to be active when I need to be, but contentment causes me to rest when I should. Desire is what I want because there's more. Contentment is what I have because it's been promised. I wrestle those together. So I want to encourage you to do something. Take your Bible, turn to Psalm 37 as we get ready to close. And I'm not going to be like the preacher who said we're going to close and he's got five more points. But I do have uh, six words. And they're all found here. I want to encourage you. Even though the series is almost done, the learning to rest is not. It's just begun. And I can't think of a better psalm to get away with God. Camp on the words in this psalm. Don't rush through it. Can I encourage you? Why don't you read it for a whole month? One psalm. And do it this way. Stop on a word or on a phrase. Meditate. God, what are you saying? What does that mean for me? How do I get that? How are you going to provide? How are you going to strengthen me? Watch the words. Let's start about verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Okay. Spend some time learning to do that. Next phrase, dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness. Next phrase, delight. There you go. You know what the word delight means? To be content. Be content in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. It'll happen. He'll bring it to pass. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Verse 34, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he's going to exalt you to inherit. You're going to get more than what you need. Let's stand our feet. As I said, rest for us begins at at a place called Calvary, the cross. The place where the Son of God gave his life so that you and I could ultimately find rest. Hebrews 4 talks about Sabbath rest as the thing being the time and the place we are made new, which is at the cross, where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, willingly gave his life 
as an offering for our sin so that we could connect with the Father in heaven again and walk with Him and find that rest. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.